praise the Lord. Now, some of you were here, quite a lot of you were here um, two weeks ago on a Wednesday uh, when I shared a message called Weeping and Worship. That was uh, soon after we'd heard the news about Benjamin. And uh, today I want to share a message called Worship and Walking Sticks. Uh, Those of you that know the scriptures well might know where I'm heading to, but if not, you'll find out later on. Um, Now, in my previous message, for those that uh, weren't here and for those that were and have forgotten, um, we were talking about the fact that even in the midst of weeping, uh, and weeping is a very valid thing, there's lots of examples in the scriptures of people weeping, but even in our weeping and our sorrow... God calls us, calls us to give thanks in everything. I hadn't um, heard that letter that, uh, or seen that letter that Phil read out uh, before any of you heard it this morning, and it began. We are so thankful, and what came through all the way through was thanks, and that's fulfilling what Scripture says. We don't give thanks for everything. There are things that happen that are really bad, but we give thanks in everything. But worship goes even further than thanks. Like thanks is to do with what God has done. It's saying thank you for this, thank you for that. But worship is to do with who God is. Uh, and even if there was nothing to give thanks for, which would never be the case, but even if that was true, we still worship God for who he is. He's the king of kings. He's the almighty God. He's the creator of heaven and earth and he's worthy of our worship. So that's why we worship him. And last time we looked at um, a couple of people that worship God, despite a couple of Bible characters that worship God, despite great sorrow. One of them was Job, who lost just about everything he had, all of his children, um, his servants, his animals, his crops, were all destroyed in a single day, and yet we read he fell down and he worshipped God. The other person we looked at was David, who'd lost his baby son. And he prayed and fasted for seven days. The child was sick, but God didn't bring health back to the child. The child died. And after that, we read, David arose and he worshipped. And we've had another example on Wednesday of people in the midst of sorrow worshipping. Right? So... You might not be old enough to remember Job or David, uh, but right here we've seen Jerry and Kim worshipping God. What an outstanding testimony that was. And today I want to look at somebody else that worshipped God. His name was Jacob, and uh, most of you will know about him. Well, just let me say something else um, before I uh, launch into the message. Now, usually on a Sunday morning, we've always got visitors among us, and uh, there's often people that haven't yet um, put their faith in Jesus, and we tend to share, uh, sort of gear our message towards those people, or with that in mind, that we have visitors among us. Um, Now, if you're a visitor here this morning, you're very welcome, and uh, I'm praying that everybody will get something out of this message, but I really feel we should have family time. because of the sort of sorrows that we've gone through. And what I'm sharing is very much related to that. But if you're a visitor, please don't go to sleep. I believe God has something for you as well. So this guy, Jacob, right, actually, 
actually. Come on. Am I pressing the right one? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jacob was a man with two names. Um, first of all, he was one of uh, twins. His twin brother was called Esau. Now, the name Esau means hairy, and um, Jacob's own name means, whoops, now it's going too fast, means a deceiver or a twister. So two brothers, one called Harry, one called Deceiver. I don't know which name you'd rather have. Not, not, <laughs> uh, probably Harry is better than Deceiver. Um, but, you know, Jacob, he really lived up to his name. Right? He was, most of his life, he lived like this. He was a sort of wheeler-dealer. He was the del boy of his day, right? He knew you know, how to uh, sort of, you know, strike a bargain, how to make things go his way, and if somebody did bad to him, well, he, he'd get back at them somehow and uh, get his own way through it. He was a twister. But one night, God met him, and he said, you're going to have a new name. And that name was Israel which means he who prevails with God or triumphant with God. And uh, in case you don't know, this guy Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, he had 12 sons and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's where the nation of Israel came from. So Jacob's name was changed to Israel, but he still kept his old name. Right? He didn't sort of ditched the name Jacob all through his life. He was still called Jacob, but he was called Israel as well. And when you read the, his story in the book of Genesis, it's very interesting to see that sometimes he's called Jacob and sometimes he's called Israel. And often there's a significance in which name is used. Now, right at the end of his life, we read this, um, that Jacob um, said to his sons, "'Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, "'listen to your father Israel. Okay. So on the one hand, he was reminding them that uh, he was a guy that was full of faults, full of weaknesses, and so were his sons, because they were sons of Jacob. But on the other hand, he's saying, I believe that God out of this family is going to make a nation, because that's what he promised to Abraham, his grandfather, and then Isaac, his father, and now to Jacob himself. He said, I believe God he said, so even though I'm Jacob, full of faults, he says, listen to your father Israel. So he's showing these two sides, his two names. Let me explain it this way. Supposing you had a friend called Fred Bloggs. Don't know if any of you, don't suppose any of you have a friend called Fred Bloggs, but uh, this Fred Bloggs is also a policeman. Okay, now... When you go out for a drink with your friend Fred, you can argue with him, you can tell him to get lost, you can say whatever you like to him. But if you're driving, because he's just Fred, he's, that's Fred, that's my friend. But if you're driving along in your car and you come to a junction and there is your friend with his uniform on and he says, stop, you'll stop your car. Because now he isn't just Fred, he's police constable Fred Bloggs. It's the same man but with two different names. Now, who can tell me somebody in the New Testament, actually there's more than one, but uh, one of Jesus' disciples who had two names? Peter. Peter, and what was his name originally? 
Simon, okay. So the guy who we normally call Peter, his name was originally Simon, which means a reed, a rush, just sort of blown about by the wind. But Jesus gave him a new name, Peter, which means a stone or a small rock. So he was saying, you're going to go from being this guy that's always blown around by the winds, by everything that comes along, to somebody more dependable. You're going to become a small rock. Um, But just like Jacob, Peter still kept his old name, right? So again, all the way through the New Testament, you find sometimes he's referred to as Simon, sometimes as, as Peter, although the name Peter is used more as time goes on. But, you know, before Jesus went to the cross, he predicted that Simon Peter was going to betray him. Remember that? He said, before the cock crows, you're going to um, disown me three times. And um, this is what Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He didn't say Peter, Peter, Satan has asked, but Simon, right? because it was that old nature, that nature that could just be blown around by any circumstance, that's what Satan was going to work on, and Jesus knew that. So he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But after Jesus rose from the dead, remember the women went to the tomb on that Easter Sunday morning, and an angel met them and said, but go tell his disciples and Peter, not Simon, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Right, so God was saying through that angel, yeah, I, I want the, the people to know that this guy, even though he has disowned me, even though he's failed Jesus terribly, he's Peter. Right? And actually he's going to go on and play a key role in the establishment of the early church. Friends, brothers and sisters, right? Christians are people with two birthdays, two names and two natures. Okay, I've got two birthdays. One of my birthdays is in July because that's when I was born 60 years ago. Some of you were here when we celebrated my 60th birthday this year. Um, But I have another birthday, just like the Queen. Um, My other birthday is in April because 46 years ago, I was born a second time. I was born again. Right, Jesus said nobody can enter the kingdom of God, nobody can even see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that happened to me on April the 28th, 1969. I don't believe everybody can pinpoint the date that it happens, but you need to know that it's happened. You need to know that you've been born not once but twice, because unless you're born again, says Jesus, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So Christians are people with two birthdays. They're also people with two names. Now, the first time I was born, back in 1955, I was called John Tebeth. And um, just like my older brother and sister, none of us were given middle names. And I always felt really deprived about this, because when I went to school, everybody had a middle name, and some of them had two or three middle names, and I was just John Tebeth. So there was a certain... Uh, point in my life where I started writing on all my school books, John E. Tebeth. 
And uh, if, anybody asked me, if anybody asked me what the E stood for, I said Edward, but that wasn't true. Um, but it meant that my initials were JET, J-E-T, and that, that, that looked rather impressive. Uh, so that, that tells you something about me. Uh, <laughs> but when I became a Christian, God gave me another name because I became a Christian, one of Christ's disciples. I, I bear his name, I'm known by his name. Boy, that's something to live up to. That puts a big responsibility on us if we're known by the name of Christ. But we've got two names. I'm still John with all my failures, and, uh, but I'm a Christian. I belong to him. So we've got two birthdays, we've got two names, and we've got two natures. Uh, the first time I was born, I inherited a sinful nature that came all the way from Adam, all the way through his descendants, right down to me. And the Bible says we're all born in sin. We're born with that sinful nature. But when I was born again in 1969, I inherited another nature. Peter actually writes in his um, second letter saying uh, that we are in, we've inherited or we're partakers of the divine nature. Right? So there I was with this fallen sinful nature. I was born again and I received a divine nature, but I've still got both natures. You know that. You know that I'm not perfect. And Peter knew this. So there he was, Simon, Simon, who failed Jesus. He became Peter. He preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. He carried on preaching and doing wonderful works for, for God, but it didn't mean he didn't fail again. He still failed after that. And right at the end of his life, the last letter that he wrote, he starts off, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm still Simon, but I'm Peter as well. I'm a servant, but I'm an apostle. And uh, so in every Christian's life, we might not be Simon Peter, but in every Christian's life, we've got these two sides to us. The Bible also refers to it as flesh and spirit, the nature of the flesh, the nature of the spirit. So there's often contradictions in the lives of, of Christians because we're these two different people, as it were. Um, so let's think a bit about contradictions. In the... Uh, reading that I brought to you earlier on from 2 Corinthians 4, it was full of contradictions. It says, for example, in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Do you think that Jerry and Kim and Joe and Rachel and Brian and Janice, do you think they are hard-pressed at the moment? I think so. But are they crushed? If you were here on Wednesday and seen Kim at the front here worshipping God, she wasn't crushed. Oh, no. Are they perplexed? Very likely they are. Thinking, what, why did this happen? Why did God allow this to happen? But, as we read in the letter, they acknowledged he is sovereign. They're not in despair. They may be hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. And so, in all of our lives, we have these contradictions, as it were, two emotions that can be there at the same time. The previous verse says this, we have this treasure 
in jars of clay. Or many of you will know the authorised version. We had this treasure in earthen vessels to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots. Right, now put your hands up if you had noticed that there is a flower pot on the piano. Right, Dorothy noticed it. I'm not at all surprised. And uh, I put it there only just before the service because I thought if Dorothy sees that earlier, she will think, oh, let's move that flower pot off the piano. Right. <laughs> right, you didn't pay any attention to the fact. Now, I, I, I looked in my sort of shed yesterday and found the sort of crummiest old flower pot that I could. It's a bit sort of dirty and everything. It's not you know, very attractive and you wouldn't particularly want it to stay there on the piano. Um, but there it is. Um, now, Stephanie, would you like to go and see, please, if there's anything in that flower pot, and if there is, bring it to me. Thank you very much. Gosh, there's 50 pounds inside that flower pot. Um, I'm glad it was still there. And, uh, <laughs> That's, that's why I put it there only just before the meeting started, and I thought, if it's missing, there's the only person who could have taken it. Right, now, once Stephanie brought this to me, thank you very much, um, everybody wasn't looking at that old flower pot anymore, they were looking at this, I better put it away safely. Um, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Right? If you were here on Wednesday, right, I was, I was looking around, right? and in one sense, I saw the church jam full of earthen vessels, flower pots, right? just very ordinary people, people weeping, people broken, um, people just sort of wondering how on earth can we cope, all of those emotions. And yet, on the other hand, I looked around and I saw earthen vessels full of treasure. Right? And unlike, I, I couldn't quite think of how to illustrate it uh, well. Um, I said to my wife, have you got some diamonds and things that I could fill this pot up with? But, uh, <laughs> but the only diamond she had was stolen in a burglary a couple of years ago. So, and, uh, but yeah, what I really wanted to show was treasure sort of like bursting out from this uh, flower pot. And... Uh, that's what we saw on Wednesday, you know, such that you know, we stopped looking at the, the flower pots and all of the sort of defects and everything, but think, boy, there's treasure in this place. I was saying to a couple of people on Wednesday, um, it's a good idea from time to time to go to a non-Christian funeral and to see the contrast. You know, what we had here on Wednesday, you could not have it without Jesus. Right? If you go to uh, where non-Christians are grieving and they've got no hope, there's a despair about the whole thing. And yet there was joy here because we've got a treasure inside these earthen vessels. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And uh, I'm so blessed, so glad to be a part of a people like that that are full of treasure. So you might be thinking, what's all this got to do with walking sticks? Right, let's get back to Jacob, otherwise known as Israel. Now, at the end of Jacob's life, 
he was living in Egypt. His son Joseph had gone to Egypt. Many of you will know the story. And he'd ended up, he'd gone there as a slave, but he'd ended up as prime minister of Egypt. And eventually the whole family goes to Egypt to escape a famine. And, uh, and now um, Jacob is near the end of his life. And uh, we read this in um, Genesis 47 and verse 31. Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Right? He's in, in bed there dying, and it says, Israel bowed in worship. So it's using there his new name. Right? He's saying, this man is the head of a nation. This man, although he's dying, his descendants are going to live on, and they're going to become a great nation through whom God will bless the whole earth. Now, actually, just before then... Um, Jacob, Israel, had said to his son Joseph, look, when I die, make sure that I'm not buried in Egypt. I want you to take my bones and take them to the land of Canaan, which later became Israel, and that's where I want my bones to be buried. Right? He was saying, I've, my future and the future of this family isn't in Egypt, which in the Bible always represents the world, but it's in Israel, it's in God's land. And he said, I want my bones to be buried there. It was a statement of faith. And that was fulfilled. One day the bones were taken into that land. And one day his descendants didn't just have a graveyard in the land, they had the whole land because God had promised it to them. And so here's Israel bowing in worship, believing that promise of God. He bowed in worship at the head of the bed. But now in the New Testament, Hebrews 11 and verse 21, that's that chapter about all the great men of faith in the Old Testament, and it mentions Jacob as one of these men. It says, Jacob worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Right, so first of all, it's using here his old name, and now we find that this man of God had a walking stick. You might think, you might think this, this great man of God, he, yeah, and there he is worshipping. Yeah, he should be throwing his stick away. I won't do that. But, uh, <laughs> but it says, no, he worshipped as he leant on his walking stick. And now you might say, well, that's not very surprising. I mean, he was a, a really old man now. He's 137 or something or other. And, um, but actually, when you read the story, he needed this stick for 50, at least 50 years. And it started that night that I referred to earlier when he first received that new name, Israel. Right? There was Jacob, the wheeler dealer. Right? He knew something of God, and yet you know, he was trying to make bargains with God, and he was trying to live life his own way, and yet you know, have God in it some, somewhere, just like a lot of people do today and uh, trying to keep the best of both worlds. Um, but that night when God met him, uh, he got into a fight with God. And uh, you see, he was resisting God. And, uh, and he said, no, no, I'm not willing to... He didn't want to yield his whole way, but God kept on with him. That's the faithfulness of God. I thank God that although I've fought with him, he has persisted. He's gone after me. 
Right? But sometimes when we resist God, God has to do things to us right? so that our character is shaped more. And that night when God and Jacob were in this fight, uh, we read in Genesis 32 that, uh, God, that um, Jacob's hip was dislocated. God gave him a dislocated hip. And, uh, and he had to go use a walking stick from then on. But look at this verse. This was at the end of the, uh, the story in Genesis 32. The sun rose above Jacob and he was limping because of his hip. Now, everywhere else I can think of in the Bible where it talks about the sun rising on somebody, it's always a sort of sign of, of blessing. You probably know that verse. The sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. But here we've got the very opposite, right? The sun rises on Jacob and he isn't healed. He's limping. He's got to have a stick. And he was like that for the rest of his life. Again, I hadn't read the letter. Kim and Jerry rightly said, we will never be the same again. Our lives will never be the same again. Things come into people's lives that they are never the same again. Obviously not to the same extent as Jerry and Kim, but I believe also as a church, we will never be the same again after what has happened. These things that that happen in the life of a church, they help to shape us, but the fact that we'll never be the same again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, it might be a very good thing, because God is able to use all these circumstances to bring blessing. Now, the other amazing thing about the story in Genesis 32, you might want to go home and read it, um, that it says God blessed Jacob there. God blessed him there. Is that your idea of blessing? You know, if you said, oh, I'm really blessed, right? Jacob was kept awake all night fighting with God, actually got a very important appointment the next day, meeting his brother the first time for years, and he was scared stiff of his, of his brother. And uh, he was, whereas he might have needed a good night's sleep, he was kept awake all night long because God got into a fight with him. And then he goes away with a broken leg. Is that blessing? That's, the Bible says it is. It says God blessed him there. You see, but years later, as his life carried on, he realised what a blessing that was. And every time he leant on that stick, he remembered, yeah, once I was a twister. Once I was a deceiver. And I've still got that tendency at times, but thank God he's given me a new nature. He's given me a new name. I don't want to live according to the old way. I want to live according to the new way. Oh, hallelujah. You know, when the, the, weak, the things that come into our lives that um, show our weaknesses, they should also cause us to say, we're, we're nothing. You know, our, in our old nature, we can't cope with any of this. Our old nature is rotten. Our old nature is full of sin. But thank God for the new nature. Oh, thank God that John Tebeth was crucified with Christ. But now I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Hallelujah. I heard of a, a man that uh, whenever 
he signed his name, including on checks anywhere. He'd, he'd done his signature like this. His name was somebody or other, Scrivens, forget the initial. Somebody Scrivens, Galatians 2.20. So he put that all in his signature. It is, and Galatians 2.20 says, It is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. Hallelujah. So, let's worship leaning on walking sticks. I don't mean it literally. I'm not hoping that uh, you'll all come along with walking sticks next week. But we've all got weaknesses in our lives. We've all got things that have happened to us. We've all got things that are painful to us. Don't deny those things. Don't try and say, oh, they they don't exist. And they do exist. They're very real things. And, uh, you know, something that uh, really struck me on... uh, Wednesday, when when Phil read out um, what Jerry and Kim had written for that occasion, you know, they thanked certain people who had uh, reached out to Kim. And uh, those were people that had themselves lost children. You see, out of the pain that we go through, we can help other people as well. And so if you deny the pain, if you deny the things that have gone wrong in your life, then you might not be able to help somebody else. But out of that pain, you can help somebody else. And yet, as you're conscious of those weaknesses and you're, you know, at times feel you're sort of leaning on a walking stick, well, that's okay. But let's do what Jacob did. Let's worship leaning on our walking sticks. Praise God. James. We're going to um, worship... Um, for a, a few minutes as we close and uh, I'm going to put my walking stick out the way uh, and uh, and after uh, you know, often after the meeting you know, James just sort of carries on um, playing and uh, you know, so we'll, we'll worship for a few minutes here and then Phil will come and close the meeting uh, but if you want to carry on worshipping afterwards, just come and sit down the, the, the front here afterwards and we can just spend time worshipping God. And uh, if you want prayer for something, come down the front, but worship first. You know, amazing things happen when people worship God. You may find as you worship, God answers your prayer, but we'll be pleased to pray with you. So let's worship and uh, we're going sing uh, faithful one so unchanging ageless one you're my rock of peace Lord of all I depend on you you are my rock in times of trouble you lift me up when I fall down all through the storm your love is the anchor my hope is in you alone
again and again I call out to you again and again you are my My hope is in you alone. We put our hope in a lot of things. We hope in each other. We hope in <laughs> our cars that they work. We hope in, you know, our jobs that they sustain us. We hope in money. We hope in... <laughs> we should be putting our hope alone in Christ. Let it be Jesus this morning. I sang this song on Wednesday and... um. <laughs> I almost lost it because uh, I looked at Kim and I looked at Jerry and to see their faces, they were saying, let it be Jesus. Let it not be the pain and the hurt and the suffering or anything else, but let it be Jesus. Let it not be what they depend on, what they rely on, their walking stick as it were, but let it be Jesus. Let's sing let it be Jesus this morning and just really worship him. song inside the storm 
never need another for me to live is Christ for me to live is Christ and God I breathe your name above everything oh let it be so small and so needy, yet we can look to the one who is our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ, and we can pour out our worship, even as it were leaning on our walking stick, even as it were suffering whatever life has thrown at us, we can pour out our praise and thanksgiving to you alone. Father, may the flavour of this thoughts go with us. Lord, as we have time of fellowship, we just pray we might not just be thinking about trivial things. But resting in that knowledge that in our weakness we have a wonderful and strong tower 
a rock upon whom we can support ourselves, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every one. The Lord be with you all.